0: The September 13th, 2019 edition of Weekly Signals Meltdown, a reconfiguration of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting from Studio Hay at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan.
1: And I'm Mike Caspar.
0: And as always, my canine American, <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. Wow. Good boy. Coming up, Trump's war on the economy. Yeah? Caucasia? (laughs) Juiced balls and more. (laughs) Juiced balls, mother. Ah, But first, you have a dull brain, Mike. I do. Definitely today I do, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I do. This from Scientific American. Yes. Marijuana may boost rather than dull the elderly brain. Cannabis will get you high, Mike. It can also cause cognitive impairment. Yes. As we all know. But new research suggests the herb might affect older users very differently than young ones. Yeah. At least in mice.
1: At least <laughs> yes, that's true. At least <laughs> yeah. in
0: mice. Young mice treated with THC performed slightly worse on behavioral tests of memory and learning. Okay. But after elderly mice were given THC, their performances improved to the point that they resembled those of young, untreated mice. Just
1: (laughs) because their brain does mimic much of the human brain. Uh,
0: uh, So I hope you're right. uh, When the researchers checked out the brains of the treated elderly mice for an explanation, they noticed that neurons in the hippocampus, that's a brain area critical for learning and memory, had sprouted more synaptic spines. Those are the points of contact for communication between neurons. Yep. Sprouting more spines. I love that idea. Sprouting yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. more <laughs> spines, Mahler. <laughs> uh, some praised the study but cautioned against extrapolating the findings to humans. But what the heck? Let's <laughs> extrapolate <laughs> we, to humans it, right Since now. when
1: have we cared about yeah. this kind of thing before? I'm going to go
0: home and grow <laughs> some spines. <laughs>
1: Well, it seems to be on a trajectory of research that will eventually uncover the truth of it, and it seems to be positive. Yeah, but the findings raise the intriguing
0: possibility yeah. that THC and other cannabinoids might act as
1: anti-aging
0: molecules in the brain.
1: Yeah. As I was reading this article, what really just jumped out at me is the 50, 60, 70 years worth of research that could have been done already yeah. on marijuana. And how much further along in terms of cracking the code, understanding what THC does to us and the positive and the negative. But because of the retarded, racist history of enforcement of the law against people who smoke marijuana, we're not. So we're now starting to uncover these things. And most of the
0: study has been done on younger people. Not to see what good it will do them, but to see what bad it will do yeah, yeah, them. That's why they yeah. focused their early studies on young people. right?
1: Yeah. And if that is, in fact, the case yeah. with the younger developing brains, it's not a good idea. That's okay. We need to know that. But if, in fact, it turns yeah. out you can slow down an aging process, giving people an opportunity to maybe stave off Alzheimer's or other swarms of dementia, or maybe even eliminate the possibility of that happening, yeah. we should have been 50 years ago. We should have been talking about this, not yeah. now. Well, so we we are, we are now. Fifty years in the long term
0: is but a pittance. I understand. Although younger people make up the largest group of cannabis users, their rate of use has remained stable. <coughs> Meanwhile, a recent study showed that among adults older than 65, cannabis use has jumped 250%. <coughs> <laughs> Try mother. Yeah. Mother's getting old. <laughs>
1: Well, let's see. In, yeah, in dog years, he's, uh, yeah. He's way over He's, he's in that demographic. I think, yeah. I think he's
0: 300. 300 years old, yeah. Uh, this from Cosmos Magazine. A uh. study of two British foot painters mm-hmm. born without arms because their pregnant mums were given thalidomide yes. has shown a part of their brains usually devoted to finger activity has been repurposed to help out their toes. <laughs> The finding adds to the growing literature on neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to forge new connections well into its lifespan, and will be leveraged in future research to see if robotic limb prostheses can become represented in the brain in a similar way. That's fascinating. Yes,
1: it is. One of the things about the brain that we've found over the many years of researching it is the brain is constantly trying to adapt to the situation that it that yeah. it's in. It is at a very adaptable organ. And one of the things that people who have lost limbs, the sense that the limbs are still there, the brain is still communicating with the lost limbs, and yeah. other the ghost, things... The ghost feet. The ghost feet. Yeah. And other things like that, that the brain, when there's a spinal cord injury, they're finding research where the brain is trying to rewire yeah. the connections down the spine in order to try and get around the, the problem. So this is in keeping with, with a lot of that previous
0: research. Yeah. Researchers used ultra-high-resolution MRI scans to examine the pair's brain responses to having their toes tapped. When the toes of their painting foot were tapped, the scans showed clearly separate brain areas for four of the five digits. The sensory map for their feet also had invaded the brain region that would usually represent the hand. (laughs) From Business Insider, a 25-year-old's mission to clean up the great Pacific Garbage Patch has yielded a new discovery, and it means the plastic problem is more effed up than we thought. Yeah, that's not good. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch, in case you don't know, is a plastic trash filled vortex that's more than twice the size of Texas. And it's floating out in the Pacific. It's just a swirl.
1: It happens to be in the middle of currents that are swirling around it (laughs) that are creating a situation where the plastic's being funneled into it. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when we had
0: Captain Charles Moore on the show? Yes. He discovered the patch. He was just floating out there having fun. He used to uh, race. To Hawaii. Yeah, on sailboats. And then he ended up floating out
1: and found the garbage patch. Well, he actually took an alternative path. Usually you take the trade winds. He said, no, I'm just going to go this way. And that's when he came across the, the great.
0: That was 10 years ago when we interviewed him here
1: on KUCI. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's a good guy. I liked him. Very much. He wore a little captain hat and everything. He, he, he wasn't officially a captain, but he was a captain. He, he was a captain good. of his ship. Yeah. God and by the way, sake. he
1: set up a, a foundation in Long Beach that it continues to work. It's for Charles Moore.
0: Millions of tons of plastic accumulate in the oceans each year, but only a small fraction of it <clears> winds up on the surface of the ocean. For years, scientists believed that the missing plastic quickly degraded into tiny fragments, then fell to the bottom of the ocean. But a new study found that plastics undergo a long journey toward areas like the Pacific Garbage Patch. Along the way, plastic either gets pushed back toward land or sinks beneath the surface of the water. About 8.8 million tons of plastic accumulate in the oceans each year, but only about 270,000 tons are believed to be floating on the surface. The majority of the plastic the researchers retrieved from the garbage patch in 2015 were from the 2000s, and some were much older. In fact, some were from back in the 1970s. The strategy of the research group, the Ocean Cleanup, is to build a floating U-shaped contraption that captures plastic in its fold in the U-shape there, in the bottom of the U, like a giant arm. If successful, the Ocean Cleanup says its device could cut the size of the garbage patch in half over five years.
1: Oh, that's amazing if yeah. that happens. Uh, that's yeah, great. That would it's... be
0: excellent. Oh, my golly. Yeah. Mahler likes that idea. Yeah. I was trying to figure out what might be floating out there. It was from the 70s. Like rock sock'em robots, stuff like that. <laughs> stuff
1: like that. Yeah, cabbage patch. It's to the point we've made many times on the show, and that is that every piece of plastic ever made... Yeah,
0: it ain't going away. It doesn't go away. Yeah. And now we're finding it doesn't even decompose that much.
1: That's right. If this news intrigues
0: you, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Because you're listening. Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free speech radio at 88.9 FM KUCI.org. From Science Focus. Three cities preparing for overpopulation, rising sea levels, and air pollution. First off, an underground city in Singapore... Climate change and rising sea levels mean that reclaiming land is no longer a sustainable option for Singapore. Instead, the country is looking to create an underground city. So far, more than $12 million has been invested in the research and development of underground tech. That's not a lot, but no. they're moving forward yes, on it. that's right. Laws have been changed regarding home ownership, so people only own the land as far down as their basement. So you could have people living under your basement, yeah, or storage areas under your
1: basement. That's to free up
0: space beneath houses for development.
1: I think here in the United States, if you own a piece of property, you own mineral rights. Yeah, that so goes theoretically goes down. I don't know how far, but it goes down several hundred feet. Yeah, I just think this is forward thinking. They're looking for ways to get out from under climate damage. People
0: won't be living underground at first. Instead, the city will start by moving storage, utilities, transport, and industrial facilities underground. At the country's airport, a four-in-one transport hub will host three train depots and one bus depot by 2024, all underground. So there'll be mole people living in Singapore. (laughs) Second, a floating city near the Pacific Islands. Earlier this year, Oceanix announced a plan to create a concept city for 10,000 people. It was unveiled as part of the UN's new urban agenda, a plan to create ways for the world's growing population to live more sustainably. The city will be made up of floating, roughly triangular platforms, each around five acres in area and home to 300 people each one of those little triangular platforms. And each platform, or neighborhood as they call it, will generate its own renewable electricity from the waves and sun, and the population can be increased by adding more of those triangles.
1: I'm looking at a picture of it. I yeah. think I'm thinking to myself, okay. I mean, I'm sure there's a few bugs to be worked out, but we've got to start figuring ways around this. I'm thinking massive hurricane season. That would
0: be a wild ride to be on one of those triangles. 300 people. Yeah, Yeah, It might be fun. Or it might not be fun. We we don't know. The third city. (laughs) (laughs) The third city is a forest city in southern China. Homes and commercial buildings will be covered with trees, with gardens on every balcony of every floor, and rooftops will be miniature forests. It will be home to 30,000 people and include commercial and recreational spaces, two schools, and a hospital. The vegetation, of course, will absorb carbon dioxide and pollutants as well as releasing oxygen into the air. Building is expected to begin in 2020. So so there we go. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's kind of fun. Yeah. Let's see. I like that idea. I like that a lot. Uh, You know, especially with rising... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, Mauler, Well, yes, there will be dog parks. State the obvious.
0: What is a Moller? <laughs>
1: you want a Trump story?
0: <laughs> it's been a while. Let's well, see if I get one here. <laughs> From Reason Magazine, more than 300,000 American jobs have been lost as a result of Trump's trade war with China. And another 600,000 jobs could be destroyed if the conflict, the trade war drags on for another year. That's the assessment of Moody's Analytics, a financial forecasting firm, and it fits with other recent analyses. According to Moody's, Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping have embarked on a dangerous game of economic chicken. Yeah. A game of chicken typically ends one of two ways. Either one party gives way or both get hurt. At some point, it becomes too late for anyone to duck out, and both sides are doomed to mutual destruction. Yeah. I think we're kind of going in that direction right now. At some point, a trade deal will not be enough to avert
1: global recession. President chaos. Yeah. This is the next episode of the reality show that we call President Trump's presidency. And I don't think he really cares about the outcome. He cares about ratings. And this guy is unfit to be president. So anything can happen. Yeah.
0: You like that one, Mahler? Is that a good one? Yeah, good, good. good, good, good. I got another. From Forbes magazine, the ever escalating tariffs on Chinese goods will cost the average household $2,031 per year and will be recurring so long as the tariffs stay in effect. God. This, according to a new National Foundation of American Policy study, the costs may go even higher. If all tariffs threatened by the Trump administration are imposed, combined with the current tariffs in place, the annual cost to U.S. consumers would be $461 billion, and the cost for the average household would be $3,600. Yeah. This means the price of shoes, cell phones, clothes for children, and a lot of other stuff are just going to be going up. It's... You want to buy a computer? Yeah. Yeah. You better hurry up right now. This is
1: the thing about the relationship we have with China, and that is we've outsourced so much of our manufacturing of the essentials, what we consider to be kind of the bulwark of our lives to China. And this completely belies the lies that President Trump has been telling about how China is going to bear the cost of this. Yeah. that's just simply not the case.
0: Well, I'm I'm just sick of winning. That's what. Yeah, yeah we were.
1: Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's
0: right. Are you sick, Mueller? Are you, yeah, I'm just sick. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, sick. Yeah, sick. Uh, that's true.
0: Uh, you, when you were talking about Trump doing the, uh, you know, his his ratings. Yeah. He only cares about his ratings. I watch a little rerun of. Uh, remember when he was in the Oval Office and Mike Mulvaney coughed, and it interrupted what Trump was saying, and so he takes down Mulvaney.
1: But belittling,
0: yeah, yeah. If you're going to cough like that, get out of the office. Is pretty much what he said. What Trump said, but it's very revealing because Trump is just giving his normal spiel. He hears the cough, then he repeats what he was just saying. Most presidents up until now, they would talk not as if you're on a TV set. He's very aware. You ruined that take. Yeah, exactly. You ruined that take. Then he was trying to reshuffle things in his brain as to how this could be remedied. then he repeated what he said. And then he said, well, maybe we ought to do another take. I understand. Yeah, he wants to leave a good impression. But I think that's foremost in his mind, not what he actually says, but how it is glossed over for the public
1: his campaign headquarters in trump towers was the set for the apprentice yeah he's yeah. on a set all the time he's on a set we used to talk about reagan being on a set because he's a former former actor this guy thinks this is reality yeah. in some way well, I, I mean i don't know if, if you actually pressed him if he would if he wouldn't acknowledge that it isn't but he lives his life as if it is yeah and with no sense of irony about it
0: you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine, California. Visit us at Facebook.com/slash KUCI 88.9. On our Tumblr blog at kuciradio.tumblr.com. On Twitter at kucifm. On Instagram at kucifm. Stream us live on TuneIn. Go to kuci.org. Whoa! Jeez. They snuck up on me, Mahler. rare <laughs> <It's> weird. <laughs> From Salon Magazine. House Democrats have been investigating a strange incident, remember this one, where the Air Force made an unusual refueling stop at a small government-owned airport in Scotland that just happened to be next to Trump's failing golf course in Turnberry. Yeah. The crew was befuddled at the order, the, the Air Force <laughs> crew, and even more so when they ended up at Trump's overpriced elitist club, feeling out of place and without enough money to buy food or drink. The investigation shows that many millions of dollars were spent since 2017 at this out-of-the-way little airport, and more than just those airmen were shuttled to Turnbury to funnel government money into Trump's pocket. It's what we call emoluments.
1: What the founding fathers were afraid of yeah. was that a president would try to use the office to accumulate wealth. His power is immense, so yeah. he could block out any kind of competition if given them the opportunity.
0: And Air Force personnel aren't the only ones putting taxpayer money into Trump's palace of conspicuous consumption at Turnberry. The Scotsman, that's a paper there in Scotland, Scotsman <laughs> yeah. reported in 2018 that the State Department had paid for staffers to stay at the resort and that family members' Secret Service details routinely spent tens of thousands of dollars at Trump hotels turnberry included that's nothing compared to the money that republican officials and foreign dignitaries spend at the trump hotels these are now republican officials whose profits go into trump's pockets Mm -hmm. that's tens of millions of dollars at least 90 members of congress 250 trump administration officials and more than 110 foreign officials have been spotted at trump properties since 2017 now, for one thing, you don't know what sort of deals he's cutting just because they're staying at the hotel and what kind of back and forth is going on just because of business and not because of our interests. Right. It's his interests rather than ours. Right. And it's just low class to do this, don't you think?
1: Yes. Well, it is. There are estimates that about $100 million has been funneled yeah. into Trump's pocket, pockets of his properties in just... Two and a half, three years, yeah. and he's spent one out of every three days as president in one of his facilities, yeah. whether it's Trump Tower, whether it's the place in Palm Beach, uh, Mar-a-Lago, or somewhere else. He spent one out of every three days, and we're paying the United for, States, for the States s- security, security, and we're paying his expenses yeah. at these places. Yeah,
0: he's using the presidency to sell rooms at his overpriced boarding house. Yeah, and it just—it's just low class. From the Washington Post, Trump ordered White House officials to launch an effort to address homelessness in California. That's what he did. He wants to get homeless people off the streets of Los Angeles and other cities and into new government-backed barracks. I think it's a way to bring California down. Yeah. Because we don't like them generally. Yeah. He went so far, remember, as to say we were uh, California is a disgrace to the country. Yes. What kind of president says stuff like There's that about st- other states? <laughs> I don't care if we didn't vote for you, sir. We're part of the United States. We're the fifth largest economy in the world. Yeah. There's a lot of people here, a lot of influence here. And you're going to say we're a
1: disgrace? The California economy is actually exceeded the economy of the rest of the United States. It's expanding as one of the highest growth rates in the world right now. Yeah. We have a surplus of funding. It's in case there's an economic depression or recession, we're prepared for it. We're attracting all kinds of high-tech jobs to the state. We're way ahead of the curve on climate. I know homelessness is a problem. It here. is a, a huge problem. tremendous problem. problem. Yes.
0: Part of that is we have great weather. Yes. So people naturally come to California. The other part of it is, is the housing costs are too high here. Right. But Trump should understand that. His housing costs are too high. He would do the exact same thing.
1: Well, one of the reasons this is not just happening in California, it's happening around the country, is that foreign money, Chinese, Russian, Indian, you name it, is coming into the country under these real estate investment trusts. And they're buying up huge chunks of real estate in major American cities. Yeah. And they are buying at a high cost, but they're doing, they're driving the market. They're driving all the prices up. So eventually when they go to sell or when they start renting, they can charge a lot of money for these places. So the billionaire class is causing a lot of what the housing issues are today. It's not the entire reason, but it is a big part of it. And we have to do something about affordable housing in California, no doubt about it. It's
0: unclear how the Trump administration could accomplish helping the homeless and what legal authority they would use. It's also unclear whether the state would cooperate with Trump because he called us a disgrace to the country. And he's been putting down Democrats all the time, the people he would have to work with. Trump's directive is part of his broader effort in recent months to shine a light on the problems in California and a number of major U.S. cities, including Baltimore and Chicago. Among the ideas under consideration are raising existing tent camps for the homeless, creating new temporary facilities, and refurbishing existing government facilities. Like, we can't think of that. Well, yeah. we would be trying to move that forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Trump and the opioid crisis, really. What he wants to do is throw $100 million this way and walk away. Yeah. Just so it looks like yeah. he's done something. And I know $100 million sounds like a lot, but when you put it in government figures, it ain't nothing. It's just like to buy uniforms for the marching bands in the armed forces.
1: And I, this is going to sound completely elitist, and I apologize, but the the street that my dad lives on, uh-huh. just that half of the street that he lives on, is worth more than that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> Yeah. So it's not a lot. Of, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not and a lot of money. It's not a long street, folks. No. Yeah, no it's, it's, n- it's
0: in Corona del Mar. It's a nice place. It's a very nice neighborhood. There's what, 20 homes?
1: There's 26 homes. Yeah. And all of them are worth at least, well, this sounds yeah. weird to say out loud. Anyway, they're yeah. worth a lot of money. And to throw that that's small nothing. amount into that's homelessness, it doesn't,
0: it doesn't count that much. Yeah. Yeah. Housing experts say homelessness in California has risen alongside housing and rental prices, that problem has been exacerbated by Republican cuts to federal support for housing programs. Our governor, Gavin Newsom, said they should deal with those issues first, and then if they really have a plan, come on, we'll talk about it. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah by the way, state television, Fox News, has been running segments on a regular nightly basis about California, especially about Los Angeles and San Francisco, yeah. spotlighting the homeless. Now, under normal circumstances, That's a great idea to make sure that people understand the gravity of how many people are out of uh, their homes and unable to care for themselves. But in this particular case, it's just an ad hominem attack. And how about tying it into Trump's economy? That's right. That's exactly right.
0: (coughs) From Rolling Stone magazine, in a story by Matt Taibbi, remember W. Mike, that president we once had? Yes, well, we're only beginning to see the consequences of the Bush-era assault on the civil liberties. A judge last week ruled the federal government's terrorist screening database, which secretly categorized more than one million people as known or suspected terrorists, is unconstitutional. Oh Judge wow. Judge just ruled that. Yeah, yeah, this is like great. a number of war on terror reforms instituted in the Bush years, the terrorist screening database unconstitutionality was just obvious from the get-go. Yes, it was. But what they were doing is taking advantage of the situation that they we're going to take the gloves off
1: to fight terrorism. Many it's, of
0: these programs were sold to the public as only temporary measures, too. Yeah, I, mean, I know. Yeah, yeah that's that.
1: uh, what they call a sundown clause
0: in these bills. Diane Feinstein was saying this would be five years it would last. Yeah. So it should have been over like 15 years ago. But instead, they become permanent fixtures.
1: The Department of Homeland Security didn't exist before 9-11, yeah. and now it's this gigantic bureaucracy.
0: That lawsuit that was ruled on, was brought by 23 Muslim Americans who complained of being repeatedly handcuffed at the border, searched, denied access to flights, and other things, too. Just general abuse because they were on a list. The ugliest detail in the lawsuit involves the sheer reach of the list. The FBI shares terrorist screening database information with more than 18,000 state, local, county, city, university, and college, tribal, and federal law enforcement agencies and approximately 533 private entities through its National Crime Information Center program, which these law enforcement agencies and private entities then use to screen individuals they encounter in traffic stops, Field interviews, house visits, and municipal permit processes. Wow. So, you want to do anything, even going down to get a driver's license or a, wow. like, probably even getting a dog license, they can, <laughs> if they wanted to, access this database. Wow. In a lot of war on terror programs, the fact that no one can be sure if they're even on the list becomes a major defense against challenges to the system. In other words, you need standing to challenge an abuse of authority, but that very abuse of authority prevents you from gaining that standing.
1: Yeah, you you and I cannot sue the Department of Homeland Security for our profile. Yeah. Because we have no standing. Yeah. Because we don't uh, Because we might have a profile. We might have <laughs> and, and I guess if this is the Allison Wonderland part of it, if we do have a profile in that database we should theoretically have standing because yeah. it's about us. We should be able to challenge exactly. it. But we, if we don't know, we can't challenge because we don't know. Yeah. So that's great. And by the way, just the, the war on terror, 9-11. Uh, gonna, <laughs> no, no, I don't know if I want to go down this road. Well, well, we attacked the wrong country. We essentially subverted the civil rights of the vast majority of Americans. And we spent trillions of dollars in pursuit. And we of.
0: killed Hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. It was a huge mistake. If you're going to complain about the economy, the crash in the market from 2007 it can all be traced back to our reaction to a, a terrorist attack in New York City, which should have been handled as a criminal act. Exactly. We gave status to these MFs. Right. By right. considering it a national issue of war.
1: Which at the time, there was a lot of discussion about this, that this was a crime. This was a criminal act. Yeah. The Bush administration took it as a political opportunity to expand all of these different programs and also to set an agenda to go after Iran, Iraq and other countries who had nothing to do with it. the country that had the most to do with this. 19 of the 23 hijackers were from Saudi Arabia.
0: We're still holding hands and kissing their cheeks.
1: Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah.
0: From the L.A. Times, a story by Joel Dinnerstein. If a Native American told a Caucasian to go back to where they came from, where would that Caucasian go? I don't know. I don't know either. Geographically, Caucasia is a region of Russia a place few white Americans come from. You might, I might, yeah, I might actually
1: might be. Actually you might be a real ca- Caucasian. Caucasian.
0: I might be. Yes, I'm not. The Caucasian classification, and we're by the way, we're both white. Yes, yeah. In case yeah, you, you had guessed, yeah. <laughs> Google I, I Google the know. names. You'll, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're, we're I, don't, I don't consider it white. Is I, this kind of pink and <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of green in places too. Yeah. yeah look at well that. that's yellow. something you need to have looked There's at. Yellow in I there. think that's something you have to have. Red. The doctor should check I'm that getting out. red. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting red here. And down in these crevices. Yeah, we don't I don't that. know what that is. <laughs> is that, it's kind of burgundy. Yeah. White land. <laughs> the Caucasian classification dates back to seventeen ninety five when Johann Friedrich Blumenbach, a German physician and anthropologist, was measuring skulls, a then common practice for comparing disparate human groups. While studying a female skull from the Caucasus region, he was struck by its symmetry And fine features. It had
1: beautiful lines, apparently. Well,
0: according to him, he described it as handsome and becoming (laughs) and believed the white race was the most beautiful human type because he's white. People do that. I'm sorry. They associate. And if the white race was the most beautiful and this was the most beautiful skull, then its place of origin, the Caucasus Mountains, must be the birthplace of the white race. Europeans today don't even use the word Caucasian to describe themselves. As an ethnic identity. So why do we? Why do Americans? I don't know. I don't know. Well, this Joel Dinnerstein thinks that since there's no official white land. That's true. To say I'm Caucasian has a mystical ring to it. The I don't use Caucasian I don't though. either. Who's he talking to? I don't to? know. It
1: sounds like Lord of the Rings to me. Yeah. A little bit. It exactly. has a little bit yeah. of that, you know.
0: The word Caucasian functions as an almost magical word referring to a distant unknown land. There you go. Where white people came from. I never thought that. I, I thought the uh, <laughs> Caucasian was a crayon color. I didn't think anything about a mystical land. Yeah. In fact, this was actually news to me that there was a Caucasia.
1: I knew of the Caucasian region in yeah. Russia. I didn't yeah. know that. This is one. I think
0: the... he's a little bit off here, but I understand what he's saying. Yeah, he says we should stop using the word Caucasian. Got it, Joel. I stopped that about fifty years ago. <laughs> In fact, when they ask me, What's you know, if forms? I'm Caucasian or Mexican, you know, on the on forms, <laughs> yeah. I don't answer or put
1: other. Nathan, this is one of those things that it is so embedded in us, in our society, that it's hiding in plain sight. Like, where did this come from? I like to be called Euromut. If you want to do anything <laughs> to identify
0: my ethnicity? Yeah. Call me a Euromut because I'm I'm everything over there in Europe. My family just kind of—I know—had a cluster yeah. cussed. <laughs> Dinnerstein says to stop using the word Caucasian would be the first step toward undoing our attachment to color coding humankind. Yes, that has been at the root of at least three hundred years of identity and ideology. Well, if you're using the word Caucasian out
1: there, just stop it. Just stop <laughs> it. Yeah,
0: that's all. <laughs> and in sports.
1: Well, yeah. Oh, and by the way, what? have you noticed how white the Dodgers are? Well, they're kind of sneaky white. Yeah, they, yeah. Be, well, because
0: Kike Hernandez. Yes. He's he's not. It's stri- what you call white. Right. Yeah, they are. They're white. Well, but
1: well, it's striking when you see a shot of the dugout. Yeah. How few, non-white players there are that's it's I'm just, it's I'm just not, the role of the Dyson. i know baseball. i know yeah, it is i don't mean to infer that somehow because look at dave roberts dave roberts I yeah know, he, i know he's I'm not what infer- and he's, yeah i he's know he's a combo and, yeah i'm not saying that there's yeah. there's some agenda there it's just it's striking We were talking about this and i'm like boy the dodgers are generally but oh, well, see i find that offensive there it is ball players and
0: if you really went and Held at some sort of Pantone color to them, it, it, they'd be all shades in there. Okay. Kenley Jansen, okay, Edwin but, Rios, okay, all right, yeah. just an option. And in sports, from Dead Spin's Mark Normandia, the juiced ball is going to mess with Major League Baseball's already messed up market, yeah, juiced balls.
1: <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, you know, the seams on the 2019 baseballs are lower. They're closer to, so the, they're, to the skin oh, of harder. the ball itself. Yeah. yeah. So you can't get a good grip on it. You can't get It's that. a slicker ball. Yeah. You can't jog your fingernails into it quite as much. It's harder to grip, and it flies through the air with less resistance, which in turn means that not every pitch goes where it's supposed to go.
1: Uh, well, one of the things about a, a raised stitching is it gives you the ability the mechanics of throwing a curveball or a ball yeah. that spins is that gives you more of a snap to that you can yeah. you can dig your exactly. fingers into
0: it. You don't need to be Mike Trout to crush a mistake pitch and the new balls are making for many more mistake pitches. Between that and the reduced drag on the ball after it's struck, homers are flying at a historic rate. It's true. They mm-hmm. just Dodgers just broke the record. The national minor leagues started using the ball and they just wiped out the record. And if the ball makes everyone a power hitter, then no one's a power hitter anymore. Right. So no one is going to go out of their way to shift the dollars unspent on pitchers to hitters instead. So it's an excuse to lower what they pay baseball players. Major League Commissioner Rob Manfred has mostly admitted that something is different with the baseball
1: but denies it's intentional. Well, they've been denying it was different at all. So at least there's some concession that the ball isn't quite what it it was.
0: But the distortion brought on by the juiced ball is going to give the rich predominantly greedy bastard owners. (laughs) That's 30 of them. Yes. Even more excuses to avoid paying players what they could and should earn. Yeah. And I, I know players make an awful lot of money. It's obscene, but you want to see obscene money, just go and see what the owners are dragging in. And finally, the Center for Disease Control warned Americans of the health risks involved with kissing and snuggling chickens. (laughs) You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals weekly review podcast at weeklysignals.com weeklysignals.com Subscribe now!